Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. Psalm 78, 1 through 4. My people hear my instructions. Listen to what I say. I will declare wise saints and I will speak mysteries from the past. Things we have heard and known and that our fathers have passed down to us. We must not hide them from their children, but must tell a future generation. The praises of the Lord, his might and his wonderful works he has performed. Psalm 78, 5 through 8. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which commanded our fathers to teach their children, so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children, so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. Then they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, in Spanish. Escucha Israel, el Señor nuestro Dios, Dios de él es el único Señor. Ama al Señor tu Dios con todo tu corazón y con todo tu alma y con todas tus fuerzas. Grábate en el corazón estas palabras que hoy te mando. Deuteronomy 6, 7 through 9 in Spanish. Inculcáselas continuamente a tus hijos. Háblales de ellas cuando estés en tu casa y cuando vayas por el camino, cuando te acuestes y cuando te levantes. Átalas a tus manos como un signo. Llévalas en tu frente como una marca. Escríbelas en los postes de tu casa y en los portones de tus ciudades. Psalm 71, 17 through 18 in Polish. Boże, uczyłeś mnie od młodości mojej, a ja aż dotąd oznajmiam cudowne sprawy Twoje. To też i do starości, gdy już siwy będę. Nie opuszczaj mnie, Boże, aż opowiem o ramieniu Twoim, temu pokoleniu, a wszystkim następnym o potędze Twojej. Matthew 19, 14. Lecz Jezus rzekł, zostawcie dzieci w spokoju i nie zabraniajcie im przychodzić do mnie, albowiem do takich należy królestwo niebios. 3 John 4. Nie ma zaś dla mnie większej radości, jak słyszeć, że dzieci moje żyją w prawdzie. Very good. Thank you very much, guys. As you can see, God is already training our young people to go into the world and share the good news. All right, the kids can be dismissed at this time. My name is Roxanne Evans, and it is my privilege here to serve as the Director of Children's Ministry. Great timing, guys. All right. In the first chapter of Acts, the apostles asked Jesus if now was the time for him to restore the kingdom of Israel. 
In verse 8, Jesus responds, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has sent by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, the Holy Spirit has come to us, and today we are going to witness what God is doing from right here in Helmhurst, our Jerusalem, all the way to the other side of the world, the ends or uttermost parts of the earth. But this morning, we are going to reverse the order and start at the ends of the earth and work our way back through our surrounding communities, our Judea and Samaria, towards home. So to begin, we'll welcome Luann Keel, who is one of our missionaries serving in South Africa, and then she will be followed by a video from the Shelleys, our missionaries in the Philippines. It's all yours, Luann. Many missionaries stand before missions committees, missions conferences, and in the Sunday pulpit to talk about the 1040 window. But today, we are concentrating on the 414 window. Different websites put the world's population of those aged 4 to 14 at 26%. That is a quarter of the world's population. In South Africa, our 414 window is higher than the world's average, with about one-third of the total population being children under the age of 14. For the past three decades, our ministry focus in South Africa has not been a people group, but a church group with a small c. In Zulu, they are called the Amazayoni, which means Zionist, in the same way that someone would say they are a Baptist or a Methodist because they attend a Baptist or Methodist church. These people attend a Zionist church. Sadly, most of these churches, with a membership of millions, have combined Christianity with animistic and ancestral beliefs and practices. At a church service, they might sing about Jesus, read a passage from scripture, and then burn the blood of an animal sacrifice. In addition, the pastors and leadership have little to no formal education, like Bible college, or informal education, like Sunday school or Bible studies. We have two primary ministries to reach this large group of people spread all over Southern Africa, speaking any of the 11 different official languages in every socioeconomic class on a bell-shaped continuum from as biblically sound as grace to completely without any Christian teaching at all with a witch doctor as the pastor. However, the great majority are in the large part of the bell where there's a mixture. And we have witnessed several, many, many people move from the big part of the bell to biblical truth and their churches transform from groups of people meeting together to two churches with a capital C through the almost 30 years of our Zion Evangelical Bible Schools a four-year Bible college program that trains Zionist pastors and leaders in the Bible. These schools now number 90. The second ministry, however, is to children. There's something not quite right if any ministry chooses to ignore 30% of the population. Tim likes to say that children's ministry is equal in importance to any other ministry we do. Not more important, but equally important. We left for Africa in 1986, 
And at that time, I pictured myself having a wonderful children's ministry. After all, I was an educated primary school teacher. I had taught Sunday school. I had worked at vacation Bible schools. I had even created and taught at a Korean church, a Sunday school program. I had led devotions at Christian camps and had attended all the training I could get through CEF. And when I arrived in Africa, I tried. I really, really tried, but it was like hitting a brick wall. I met so much resistance. The African churches did nothing for the children and they were not interested. They were not interested in discipling their own children or the children in the church, much less children in the community. A story from a retired missionary friend says, says it best. One day she was approached by a woman who said, we have a problem. We cannot get the youth and young adults to come to church. My friend responded by asking, well, what do you do with the children? Her answer was, well, during church, we tell them to go outside and play. And when they are 18, we say, now is the time to come back in the church. And for some reason, they just don't want to come. My wise friend replied, well, that's the problem. Imagine you visited a local nursery down the street and bought a small tree and planted it in your front yard. Over the following months, you noticed that the tree was starting to grow skew. What would you do? Well, you would put a stake in the ground and you would tie the tree to it, right? So that it would grow straight. Would you wait for 18 years? Would it be possible to correct the tree's growth 18 years later? Well, that's what the African church is doing. Surveys show that 96% of all adults who become Christians were introduced in one way or another to Christ as children. The Bible says children are a gift and a reward. Psalm 127, things that are learned in childhood are remembered in old age, Proverbs 22. In Matthew 18, we see three things. Children are potentially lost and need to be sought, were warned for the, of a penalty for neglecting them, and were informed of God's desire that not one child should perish. God desires that his children be taught his truths. Deuteronomy chapters 4, 6, 11, and 32. God cares for his children. He reveals himself to them, Proverbs 8. He fathers them, Psalm 68. He blesses them, Proverbs 80. He esteems them, Matthew 18. And he welcomes them, Matthew 19. Children's ministry is important. God said it. I knew it, but I just couldn't convince the churches, and I couldn't do it for them. Fast forward eight years to one special day. That Saturday began as normal when Tim received a phone call from one of our pastors who lived a four-hour drive west of us. We were living right on the coast. He asked if he and his wife could come for morning tea. At tea, they apologized to Tim, saying that they didn't want to talk to him, but they wanted to talk with his wife. They then asked me to come help them get Sunday schools started in their churches and train their teachers. With high skepticism, I said I would pray about it. At lunch, that very same day, Tim received a phone call from one of our pastors who lived a four-hour drive north of us. He asked if he and his wife could come for afternoon tea. At tea, they apologized to Tim, saying that they didn't want to talk with him, but with his wife. Then they asked me to come help them get Sunday school started in their churches and train their teachers. 
quite a bit less skeptically, I said I would pray about it. <laughs> As they drove away, I acknowledged to the Lord his goodness in his starting the ministry to children. So the time was ripe and we began. We started with holding a week-long and two weekend conferences in response to these requests. I wrote a nine-month module for pastors that is now taught as part of the core curriculum of the Bible College, and I began to hold annual, day-long children's ministry seminars in my own province and in other provinces across the country as, as well as another country. During the year, I scour the internet, all of my literature, I have just as many books as Tim does, I regularly search for sales at Oriental Trading and CBD for materials when we're in furlough, and I'm not above begging and borrowing ideas for these seminars. I usually pick one theme like Christmas, the Ten Commandments, or the parables of Jesus. Topics such as the teacher, the child, and the class issues of discipline, how to study the Bible, how to prepare a lesson, how to use illustrations, and creative ways to present the gospel, which for instance have included the South African flag, the wordless book, finger plays, the Roman road, and I've even used a cake. Lastly, we always try to make one thing the teachers can take home to use in their classes. We've made finger puppets, flannel graphs, pocket boards, and memory verse visuals to name a few examples. And one of the highlights was seeing a 70-year-old pastor trying to sew a sock puppet. <laughs> Through your support, we have been able to purchase and distribute teaching aids. We always bring along our bookshop in the boot, which is the trunk of our car, with books and tracts for sale. And currently, I am involved in a curriculum writing project. What has been the response to these seminars? One teacher said, I just started teaching for the first time last month, and I didn't know anything. I was so afraid. You know, three-foot children can be very scary. <laughs> I didn't even know how to teach a verse. Now I could teach Sunday school every day of the week. Another teacher shared that her Sunday school meets on Saturdays with about 70 children and one teacher. <laughs> She said, now the children understand what I am teaching them. They are so excited to come for the class. They bring items from home like toilet rolls to help me teach the lesson. And if I am sick, they ask what they can do to help so that the Sunday school can go on. A Zeb student receiving her first year certificate was giving her testimony and proceeded to basically recap the entire day-long Sunday school seminar held the month before and she encouraged all the pastors in attendance to send their teachers to next year's seminar. You gotta love a good commercial. By the way, we call all children's ministries Sunday school because that's the word in Zulu. They use that word to mean all children's ministries. But I digress. Teaching Sunday school in African churches is not doing Sunday school on a shoestring, but it is doing Sunday school with no string at all. So we teach creative ways to explain God's truth to little ones. For instance, you can beg, borrow, or borrow shoes from church members to tell a story. It's quite fun when I do a story like this. I'll go through the congregation and, and ask if I can borrow their shoe. You know, the pa I'll take the pastor's shoe. Or the so this shoe I borrowed from a pretty young woman, and it could stand in the story for Esther or Rahab, or Mary Magdalene. And 
This shoe was borrowed from, I won't do that to you, by the way. I won't go to your shoe. These were borrowed from a missionary and could be used in telling Bible stories about Paul or Elijah or even Daniel, who served God and loved him well while living in a faraway land. And this, and this, little, this little could be used in the retelling of Samuel or David or Timothy being taught by his mother and grandmother or David and Goliath. <laughs> pillow is something we did recently in, in helping the teachers to teach the Christmas story. So quickly, an angel visited Mary and told her she was going to have a baby. While Jesus was sleep, while Joseph was sleeping, an angel came and visited him also and told him the baby was God's and he should still marry. A decree came out from Caesar Augustus and said, everyone must return to their home city to be counted. So Joseph saddled up the donkey, <laughs> and off they went for Bethlehem, he and Mary. When they got there, Joseph knocked on many doors, but there was no room for them in the inn. Eventually, they found a stable to stay in, where the baby was born. <laughs> Meanwhile, shepherds <laughs> were watching their grazing sheep. <laughs> and again, angels appeared to them, telling them to go back, go to the stable. So they went and worshipped. Much later, wise men arrived from the east, bringing gifts. So tonight, children, when you put your head down on the pillow, Think about God's great gift of Jesus and thank him. And church, tonight, when you next lay your head down on a pillow, think about and say a quick prayer for those ministering to children all over the world who don't have access to printed curriculum, musical instruments, CDs, children's books, DVDs, PowerPoints, oriental trading, and even electricity that they will present the truth of God's word in a meaningful way that will take root in the children they are teaching so that they too will grow up to love and serve our God their whole life long. Hello, Grace Bible Church. My name is Joel Shelley and my wife, Rachel. We are missionaries with Word of Life here in the Philippines. Word of Life is, is a youth ministry. I think it's important to share the gospel at any age, but especially with young people. I would say more people will come to know the Lord at a young age than they have uh, later in life. I actually came to know the Lord and later in my life, but I grew up hearing the gospel, and I was around the church, and although I didn't come to know the Lord till later, it was definitely that foundation, it was that seed that was planted, and it was later until the Holy Spirit really convicted me and I come to know the Lord. But I think it's important also because when you come to know the Lord at a young age, you have more time to serve Him. So what a great opportunity that is to share the gospel with a young person, be able to disciple them, and have those years uh, for them to, to serve Him. And I think that's, a that's why we concentrate that here at Word of Life. This is with our camps and the different events that young people come. We invite church groups, and they invite their friends. Uh, people that don't, young people that don't know the Lord, and they come to the camp, and they hear the gospel, 
and Lord willing, they come to know the Lord, and then they in turn uh, return to the church, and they'll be involved in the local church, and they'll have those years to serve him and to tell others about Christ. So I think that's, that's, a very, that's the main reason why it's important to share the gospel with young people. And I think it's so important also not to neglect sharing with children because even though children are young and they don't understand the, the depths of the, the gospel that we continue to grow to understand as we get older, they understand the simplicity of the gospel. We run a junior camp each summer where the kids are five years old up and we see it's so important to be able for them to hear the gospel um, when they're little, so that as they hear that word, whether they accept it at that age or not, it becomes a foundation and seeds are planted that can then continue to grow as they grow um, and come to maturity in their life. So we're really excited about being able to be a part of the Word of Life ministry here and being able to have that opportunity um, to reach kids with the gospel here. And just like you all have the opportunity to reach young people with the gospel there at Grace Bible Church and in the surrounding community. So. Thank you so much for your continued prayers for us and the ministry here and for your support. Have a wonderful missions conference. We are blessed now to have with us a good friend of Dan and Margaret Keel from France. In fact, he's very good friends with all the Keel boys, but particularly the youngest one, Paul. Eric um, participated in the youth group established as part of the church uh, planting ministry of the Keels there in France. He's here today with his wife, Roberta. I won't try to say it with a French accent. And we'll share a little bit more about what youth group meant to him as a believer and how he's doing it now. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm Eric from France, uh, and I am here with my wife, uh, Roberta, from Sicily. And um, forgive me, because I maybe make some mistakes. <laughs> um, we are here a couple of weeks um, visiting our very, very, very close friends, Daniel and Margaret's family. <clears throat> and um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share a short testimony about it. So um, um, we, we, my older sister and I, we were raised in Saint-Lys. It is a French city close to Paris. And uh, we were raised on Catholic ways. And in the same city, in the neighborhood, was uh, Daniel and Margaret family. And when I was um, like 14 years old, um, my sister and I were invited to join a teenage uh, Christian group uh, every Saturday. And it was uh, really something important and changing my life because uh, um, it, it was a little different from what I experienced in Catholic. And, uh, <clears throat> I learn uh, more about Jesus, the Bible, and through games, sports, and discussion, it was uh, for me really challenging because I, I initiated to ask myself about my sins and many things uh, are different. So um, I, I accept the invitation to, to go to the church, the Christian church of Daniel, and after um, I can say step by step after a few years I um, choose to be baptized and uh, my sister did the same thing and uh, after this I was uh, really blessed because I know I knew uh, a mission um, named uh, GRN Global Recording Networks and it allowed me to uh, share gospel 
and it, it, it was encouraging me to, <laughs> uh, to learn uh, English uh, also. So, yeah, thank you. Greetings from Josh Whitman here in Imola, Italy. And I, we've been asked to talk about the importance of children's ministry and church planting, uh, and in, specifically here in our city. And one of the things that we have realized is that as you connect and uh, interact with the children, you also can interact with uh, the families, with the parents. So one of the things that we've been doing in our city is just different types of kids camps, whether it's sports or English camps, as a way to get to know the families, to build trust. They see us as a cult, as a sect. So they're interested in getting to know us personally, first of all, and oftentimes uh, through the camp, they can do that. Now, one thing that we just started last week, which is very exciting, is an Evangelical Scout Association right here in our city. So we have the chance to connect with kids. They want to be outdoors, want to be running around in the woods, learning about nature, but also giving them a gospel presentation every time that we meet. So these are just a few of the ways that we've been connecting with children, with their families, uh, building relationships getting to know them, helping them get to know us. But obviously the priority is being able to share the gospel with them, which is really what they need. Again, greetings from Josh Whitman here in Imola, Italy, and we'll see you next time. Ciao. We've had a lot of, a lot of missionaries start already, so let's take a moment and pray, and then we'll have another short video from Michelle Akabudi. But let's talk to our father. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to be here this morning to proclaim missions around the world, through our country, in the world. Father, I thank you for so many different parts of the church in this world that are reaching out to these students, these children. Father, while there are so many different languages, so many different locations, the need is still the same. Father, we thank you for these students and for them, and pray for opportunities for them to be able to hear your word, to know that you love them and that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus, to die for them. Father, I thank you for this help to continue to help our missionaries through these different organizations that they use through uh, like scouting or the Sunday school opportunities to proclaim your word and so that they, they can know that they are loved by their great father. In your name I pray, amen. At this moment, could, Ellie, we have a, another one of our friends. Um, as we go into the next section of our stage is... Um, the DuPage and beyond. What's all, the second stage of our verse from Acts is the Judea and Samaria. So we're going to bring up right now our friend from Young Life, Ellie Halloran, who is the missionary at York High School. Ellie, come. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to share what Young Life is doing here in Elmhurst. So Young Life, if you're not familiar with it, is an organization that seeks to embody and share the gospel as missionaries within a community, particularly with youth. I've been on Young Life staff for a little over a year, and it has been the greatest experience so far. Some things that I've learned as I've interacted with both middle and high schoolers is that their generation, Gen Z, is primarily unchurched. So many youth today see God as a concept that they can adjust rather than a person that they can interact with. Students also live and exist in a very high-pressured world and environment 
So they struggle to stay afloat with all the expectations they hear from voices of parents, from teachers, from peers, from coaches, and social media. Social media also allows for high-performing and romanticized success stories to become normalized. Because of this, youth grow up in a culture of having access to everything at their fingertips, so we're constantly in a state of comparison and receiving a message of you are not enough. Even though they are always connected, social media does not fill the longing they have for belonging and acceptance. And adding on these unrealistic standards and this constant comparison, youth are experiencing higher rates of loneliness and mental health. They are left asking questions of, am I safe? Will you accept me? Am I enough for God to love me? While craving to be sought after and listened to, to be understood and taken seriously. So on Young Life staff, I have the privilege of getting to go where kids are and be a good news bringer and help change the message and narrative kids are believing about themselves. And that all starts in relationship. So I want to mention that the work of Young Life is not a substitute for the local church, but instead it complements the work that the church is already doing, but works to reach out to kids that might not attend a local church or may be disinterested. So our mission at Young Life is to introduce adolescents to Jesus Christ and help them grow in their faith. We get to do this by embodying John 1.14, where Jesus became flesh and entered into the neighborhood. We do this by going where kids are, on their turf and in their culture, and build authentic friendships with them. Through this, we earn the right to be heard and share the good news of Jesus and invite them into a life with Jesus while continuing to walk in friendship with them regardless of their response. These relationships take time, patience, and consistency, but the ways God has moved in the lives of the most disinterested of youth and captured their hearts is amazing. We do this by having events such as club, which we call a party with a purpose. We host club in an environment that feels safe and neutral to them, where we play games and build community by allowing students to see how a life with Jesus can be fun. Once a week at these clubs, an adult or college age leader shares the gospel with students after earning their trust and respect by first showing up in their lives before having the chance to speak into them. We also hold Bible studies where we more intentionally spend time with students who are interested in growing in their faith. And this is where students also encourage these students to pursue their faith in the church. Young Life also provides summer camps and fall weekend retreats every year where students get to go with their leader and their friends to have the best week of their lives and experience the fullness of the gospel through a week of fun, growth, and community. This year, I've seen how Young Life has represented what we see in 1 Kings 19. Elijah was being persecuted and finds himself alone in the desert, exhausted, hungry, and fending for his life. But God meets him in his moment of deepest despair and provides him shade in the form of a bush, rest in the form of sleep, and nourishment in the form of food sent by an angel. Elijah stays in the comfort of God's shade and provision for a few days before he continues on his journey in strength, where he has an intimate encounter with God and finds community and companionship in Elisha. I see the role of a young life leader as this privilege of providing shade for students as God did Elijah. As we pursue students on their own turf and are invited into the hardest parts of their lives, we get the opportunity to create spaces of shade for them, providing them rest, comfort, and nourishment. But like Elijah, the shade he was given was temporary, providing him the rest and provision he needed to continue in strength on his journey, which opened doors for him to be plugged into community and to meet God more deeply and powerfully than before. As Young Life leaders, we get to do the same. 
being spaces of shade for students as they are strengthened and equipped with all they need to con continue to meet Jesus more intimately and surround surrounded by the community and companionship like the local church. This year, I've gotten to walk alongside many high school friends, and it's been an honor to be invited into their lives and be a source of shade for them. At one of my first clubs while on staff, I got to meet one of my high school friends. She was a sophomore, invited by one of her friends to come to club. She had grown up going through religious ed and attending a Catholic church every so often with her grandparents, but her parents, especially her dad, who she lived with, was not very supportive of her pursuing anything related to faith. However, she came to club on that night last fall and had a great time. She began to come weekly, and through spending time with her on Tuesday nights and hanging out with her after school, I developed a friendship with her. I got to listen and hear stories of what was going on in her life and slowly be invited into learning about her struggles. She was in the midst of one of the hardest and darkest seasons of her life, experiencing the weight of the pandemic, the loneliness of being abandoned and mistreated by friends and other relationships, financial and familial issues, feeling stuck without knowing how to cope, and so turning to anything she could to feel better. Over the past year, through spending time consistently with her, I got to be invited into simply listening as she processed all these things she was experiencing. She would come over for dinner at my apartment, we'd go grab some ice cream, or we'd simply sit in her driveway and call what we have our car chats. Sometimes we'd have conversations about God and faith, but for the most part it was meeting her where she was at, being a source of unconditional love and support in the midst of all the burdens and struggles she was facing. This summer, she was invited to a church camp with the same friend that brought her to club for the first time. After camp, I got lunch with her and got to hear her excitedly share the ways that God powerfully touched her heart. Since camp, she's been on fire for Jesus, and we started reading the Bible together and processing more of how to live out her faith in her day-to-day -day life. Through spending time simply listening and being there for her, I've seen God transform her life and perspective. Now she's inviting her friends and peers to Young Life every week, wanting to share that same experience with them. I've also seen God move in powerful ways through spending time building relationships with girls that don't even show up to our weekly Young Life programming, and I've only caught glimpses of the gospel. I got to meet another high school friend after meeting her mom and hearing she was interested in faith and potentially coming to Young Life. Soon after, I got to meet two of her friends and spent time with them every few weeks, going out to lunch or hanging out after school. Last year, they probably came to a total of three clubs, and after their first one, signed up for camp with Young Life. I got to continue hanging out with them throughout the remainder of the school year and was their leader at summer camp. At camp, they became really excited about following Jesus more seriously, and after camp, we gave them Bibles and a devotional that explained what having a relationship with Jesus looks like. We began reading the book of Mark together and had really cool conversations where they could ask questions they had about the Bible. We talked about how faith isn't a set of do's and don'ts, broke down how to read the Bible and make it less intimidating, and talked about how God wants our hearts and our willingness, not our guilt and obligation to follow him. One week after reading Mark 2:17, where Jesus explains that he did not come to earth to seek the healthy but the sick, one of these girls shared how this verse changed her perspective on God. From this verse, she understood that God didn't want her when she was put together in her best moments, but in, ex instead exactly where she is, and even in the places where she feels stuck and recognizes the imperfections and inconsistencies of her life. Since then, these girls have ebbed and flowed in their excitement for God, but I've gotten to continue meeting with them where they're at, 
continuing to love them as God slowly captures and moves in their hearts. Kids are desiring truth, acceptance, and belonging. They long for a part in something bigger than themselves, something that gives them purpose. Young Life seeks out the youth on the margins, those who haven't or maybe won't ever step foot into a church, and steps into a relationship with them, first showing them what the gospel looks like and earning the right to invite them into the fullness of what a life with Jesus can look like. I'd love to connect with any of you if you have any questions or ideas of ways that we can partner together to continue seeking after youth in Elmhurst. Or if you'd like to get involved, let's talk after service. Thank you. If we don't really talk about today's issues, then what is it that we do talk about? What is the point of our faith if we can't relate it to anything else that people are having to think about every day? There's only three basic worldviews that religions fall into. There's theism, there is a God. There's atheism, there isn't a God. Or there's pantheism, that everything is a God. The non-Christian worldviews are depressing and they don't fit reality. Everyone's gonna have to decide where they fall because our culture is challenging them directly. You see, we're all yearning to be a part of something that's bigger than who we are. I think in all of our hearts and souls, we know something is wrong. No matter the worldview, no matter the religious background or lack thereof, what universally we can agree on is that there is deep brokenness. Of course, there's still goodness, there's still, there's still beauty, all those things, but it's, it's broken, right? And we're broken, and we're broken people. And then, you know, there's this question, you know, who or what is going to make things right? I actually think Jesus is the person who can bring the most coherence and meaning to the world as we see it today. There's no good reason to doubt that he existed in the time and the place that the Bible discusses. And we need to not shy away or apologize for what the gospel is. If people did that, the majority of society and culture did that, that's going to have enormous implications and it's going to radically change our world around us. Ooh, that's good that news. That is good preaching. Is that good news? That's good news and good preaching. Give me a high five. This new series from Summit is exactly where we're taking the youth group in this upcoming next few weeks, where we have spent a lot of time over the spring and over the summer at Oasis on Wednesday nights talking about having a great biblical knowledge, learning about what the Bible tells us and learning about why it's important. Now we're taking that next step and presenting the Bible is life-changing and can uh, be have shape our world and every aspect into it. It's we're not alone content as the videos showed us just having a knowledge of what the Bible says But now had to know that the Bible has authority over every area in our lives And that's what we want to make sure our students understand and that's what Wednesday night We're gonna be spending the next six weeks over doing so if you have any middle school or high school age students who Don't come to our oasis on Wednesday night We sure would love to have them there so that they can understand that they are loved by God and that they can be, let the Bible transform them in every aspect of it, the authority of God. Let's pray again and then we can continue on our, our, to our next stage of our mission conference. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to be here this morning. Thank you for 
our partners in ministry in the DuPage area, the other churches, especially for Young Life, Father. I thank you for these partners of that, like Ellie, who are working throughout the different schools in the area to help reach the marginalized students, the ones that feel uncomfortable coming to church, feel like they're not welcomed. Father, we thank you that there are people that are willing to step in and teach them about you. Father, help us to continue to love you and to serve you. Father, thank you for this upcoming uh, series at, at Oasis on Wednesday nights, where we learn about to have a better worldview, how you can shape every aspect of it and have partake in everything, Father, as the final authority on everything. Father, thank you for this opportunity we have to learn from you and apply everything that we know into our world today. You know me pray? All right, so now we're going to move into the Jerusalem, the closest to home, Elmhurst and the surrounding communities in our very homes. This morning, we are pleased to have as our keynote speaker, Jonathan King. Jonathan is the Metro Director of Chicago Child Evangelism Fellowship, a ministry whose vision it is to reach every child, every nation, every day with the gospel of Jesus Christ. A graduate of Moody Theological Seminary, my peeps, thanks very much. Uh, he served with CEF for the last 22 years and served as the Metro Director for the last 12. Before that, he served in South Africa with Mennonite Central Committee. And fun fact, Jonathan is a missionary kid who was born and raised in Nazareth, Israel. And so now we can be sure there are at least two good things that have come from Israel. So please join me in welcoming Jonathan this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, there are two good things. Um, and in fact, marhaba, kif halkum, ana min al-Nasira, kif Just a greeting from Nazareth in Arabic. Um, but God has brought me from the Middle East to the United States, like Jonah, running, screaming, not wanting to do what God is calling me to do. And now with CEF, which is Child Evangelism Fellowship Worldwide, the, the biggest um, Children's ministry in the world, in every country except for North Korea. North Korea is a tough one. We're continuing to pray. There are 150 missionaries in South Korea waiting to get into North Korea as soon as the doors open. So we're praying for that. Um, there was a boy, and he was in Zion, Illinois. And um, in Zion, Illinois, just north of here, he was five years old. He went to church. His mom's a believer. And he came home and he said, Mom, uh, I learned something in Sunday school. I learned that I have a sin problem and uh, I, I need to do something about it. And the mom said, Wayne, you, you're five years old. Don't worry about your sin problem. You have for the rest of your life to deal with that. Just go enjoy and have fun. So he took his mom's advice, went and had a whole lot of fun. In fact, had a lot of fun with sin for many years to come and up through his college years. God was working, drawing this five-year-old, but the adult was not in tune with what God was doing in this child's life. There was a girl, Carol, and she was in, um, the, uh, in, in Fisher, Illinois. And she, was, uh, she went to a... Uh, a service where they had um, a great message, and they had an altar call, and and so she said, "I I I want to receive Jesus as my Savior." And they said, "You're seven years old. You, you can't make a decision like that." And so she went home, and I am told she cried herself to sleep every night because she knew deep down that if Jesus came back, I'm not ready. 
Every night she cried herself to sleep. Now I'm going to come back to these two individuals at the end because that's kind of key to where we're talking about. But I'm going to just read uh, from uh, God's Word uh, another passage. This has been so beautiful. A conference reaching out, speaking on reaching out to children. I've been to a lot of missions conferences. This is the first one believe it or not, in my 20-some years with CEF, that a missions conference that I've been to has actually been focused on children's ministry. Amazing. So thank you guys for having that attitude. And I want to look at how does Jesus see uh, children? So we're going to look at Matthew 18 and uh, 1 through uh, one through 6. So at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling, him to, calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Some serious stuff here. The disciples, uh, like many of us adults, are, are, are thinking about themselves and, and who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. So they're, hey, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus says, whoa, you got the wrong question. You got to figure out how you're going to get into the kingdom of heaven before you even talk about the greatest. So instead of answering their question, he backs up and he says, okay, um, how do you get to heaven? And then the requirement to get to heaven is you must become like children. Kind of a little bit confusing to become like children. So Matthew 18, except you be converted and become as little children. And then the requirement to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is whosoever shall humble himself as this little child. And Jesus got this little child. It's very normal in the Middle East, especially back then, to bring little children for dedication to the rabbi, to the religious leader. So a little bit like what we do. And, and he comes and he has this little child. And he says, uh, the requirement is to be humble like this child. So we're going to kind of break this down and go, well, what is Jesus saying? Firstly, children exemplify faith that saves. Children exemplify faith that saves. So as a missionary kid, um, every so many years, my parents would come back to the United States and we'd go to church, to church, to church, to church, to church all year long, and uh, each different church. And my dad would put one of us kids, we were four boys, he put one of us kids, usually the youngest one, up on the podium, something like this, maybe a little more sturdy. And then he'd walk away and he'd say, jump. Now, we trusted our dad. We had a dad we could trust. That was very, very thankful. And he'd say, jump. We would just jump because dad said it, I believed it, and he's going to catch me. That's the faith of a child. We got older, and he tried it again. It didn't work so well. He said, jump, and we're like, eh, you know, and it was about 50-50 chance that we actually did it, and it's kind of embarrassing for him because he was up and, you know, trying to show that. But then it got a good message across. Once you get a certain age, you start, and your head starts taking over instead of your heart. And when you come to Jesus, you need to come like a child. The heart. God says it, I believe it, I don't understand it all, but it's all about God, not about me. And we as adults like to think it's all about me, i got to figure it all out. If I haven't figured it all out, I can't do it. And Jesus says, no, 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 you've got to become like the faith of a child to even enter in the kingdom of heaven. Um, and then children exemplify humility that pleases God. Children uh, know, understand that they can't provide the food on the table, they can't provide shelter, they can't 
they're completely dependent upon the adult in their life to supply their needs and supply everything that they need. And that's a humility that God is saying, you need to have as adults, because we, God is the, Jesus said he is the vine, we are the branches. But as adults, what do we like to do? We want to tell the vine where we are, how we're doing, and then God bless it while we are doing it. We do that all the time. I tell God my plans and ask him to bless it. It's like, whoa, 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 that's not how it goes. Humility is completely having that uh, understanding that it's all about God, <laughs> not about me at all. And then thirdly, children test our authenticity. If you work with children's ministry, you know. You can't fool the kids. I can fool you, making you think that, you know, I'm really into you, and I can fool you as adults, but you can't fool kids. They will see right through you. Children test our authenticity. D.L. Moody said, I believe myself that if children were old enough to come to Sunday school, they are old enough to come to Calvary. Let us make up our minds, God helping us to win children for Christ. Um, I was three years old, and my brothers did something very interesting to me. They came to me. I had an older, two older brothers, Dan and David, and they said, Joni. Now, they said Joni because uh, in, in Arabic, you can't say the word J. You can't say the letter J. It's a so, uh, Joni, uh, Jesus is going to come back someday, and he's going to take dad, mom, next brother, the next brother, but he's not going to take you because you've got a sin problem. Sin can't be in heaven. That is not how you evangelize children, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> we don't do that. It's a whole scare tactic. It's not a good thing. But you know what? Even when you have the greatest, well, not even when, when you have the greatest heart, my brother's at that point, evidently had the great heart. And you try to do what you think you do, and even if you do it all wrong, God is going to use it. So, as a third brother, how, what, how do you deal with life with two older brothers? You tattletale. I was a really good tattletaler. So I went to my mom. Mom, you got to get my two older brothers in trouble because you know what they're doing? They are tormenting me. And as, as tormentors, you got to get them in trouble. So uh, I was a very good tattletaler. And so my mom, being a very wise mom, and she did have uh, some training with children about how to deal with children. Uh, with this three-year-old, she actually opened up her Bible and said, your brothers are actually telling the truth this time. And she showed me from God's word that, you know, you have a sin problem. Now, I don't know how what you guys believe in spanking. We'll just leave that one alone. But my parents did. And I got spanked a whole lot. And so by the time I was three years old, she says, you know those spankings that you got? You know, that's because you want your way and not our way. And, and God says you got to obey your parents, and that's called sin, and you, you've been, you got a lot of it. And I knew that because uh, I'm the only one my dad broke his paddle on, and we will leave that one alone. <laughs> my brothers make fun of me on that one. <laughs> he said, John, you don't learn very well, do you? Okay, well, um, so at three years old, I said, well, this is a problem. What do I do? And so she showed me that from God's word how Jesus is the solution to that problem. And at three years old, I prayed to ask Jesus to come into my life and take away my sin. Can God do the miracle of salvation at a three-year-old life? Absolutely. It's all about God, not about you. Can God do it at a 33-year-old life age? Yes. 103? Yes, if you lived 103. Uh, so God can do it at any age. And for me, it was three years old. And um, praise God that uh, I had parents that were in tune to what God was doing in my life, even though it was my two older brothers who maybe were doing it to torment me. I have no idea, but God bless them. They did run me to the right place to where I trusted Jesus as my Savior. And interestingly enough, I don't know why, not by God's grace, not by me, I've walked a faithful walk with God ever since three years old. And I haven't had the stray moment. I haven't had those things. And so it's like, but God has showed me, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would be the worst of the worst. And I have to keep remembering that. Um, 
So looking on, uh, we see in Matthew 18, 6, that, that, that Jesus kind of goes on to a different kind of a theme here. And then um, in 6, he says, uh, let me read that to you. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So, um, Jesus is at this point in Capernaum. If you know, if you've been to the Middle East, been to Middle East. If you've been to Israel and and, and done some of uh, a, a tour guide or whatever, in Capernaum uh, there's some mills, uh, some millstones, uh, some smaller ones, but it's particularly one humongous one. And interesting in this passage, it just doesn't say a millstone, a great millstone. Um, and so if you go to the next slide, there is a millstone there in Capernaum. That is my brother, and he is standing there. This millstone is humongous. And what they use it for is they have donkeys that uh, kind of move the stone around, and you, you, you crush the grain, you crush the olives, whatever you need to be, be crushed. And Jesus is saying, it is better to have this thing hung around your neck and be thrown into the depths of the sea. That's equal to having your car that you drove here today hung around your neck and thrown into Lake Michigan, which is going to take you to the bottom, basically a death sentence. Jesus is making a statement. This is huge. It's better for you to be dead than to offend a little child. So we're going to kind of look at that a little bit more. Um, because in verse 8, Jesus then goes on and does something that's really, really interesting. He makes even a bigger a comparison. That at first, I'm like, whoa, what is Jesus saying here? And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And it is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown in eternal fire. And I'm like, whoa, is this... Jesus is talking about how wonderful is to do children's ministry, and afterwards he talks about children, and then he's got this whole maim thing going on. Is Jesus promoting being maimed? What is going on here? Jesus is doing what we love to do in the Middle East and, and a lot of other places, to make comparisons to get the point across. So um, in the Middle East, they actually, some places, if you steal, you got a kleptomaniac, and, and you steal, they cut off your hand. Why? Well, without your hand, you're not going to be stealing anymore. It takes care of that problem. Um, Jesus is not promoting that. What he's doing is saying, this is such a huge thing. If you have a problem with your eyes, with your, with your hand, it is better to not have those than to be living in sin. So that, that's how bad sin is. It's better not to have those than to be in sin. But to offend one of these little ones, it's better to be dead. What is he saying? It's the bringing to the, the point how serious it is to offend a little one. And uh, when my parents were in the Middle East uh, doing children's ministry, uh, like, like Africa, the kids' ministry didn't exist. Kids were to be not seen, not heard until they got older, and then they couldn't figure out why they wouldn't be in the church. And, uh, and God is, it, I'm sure that back when Jesus' day, it was very similar, and so he was making that point. So, what are some things that we commit, uh, this, how do we commit this terrible sin of offending uh, a child? So if we look at it, one is discouraging a safe child um, to telling him that they're not saved. I do a lot of different conferences. They ask us to come, and we do a children's program, and, and, and I, I led a little boy to the Lord, and I said, go tell somebody safe. Um, probably your pastor, what, what God just did for you today. So he went out and said, Pastor, Pastor, I trusted Jesus, my Savior today. He took away my sin. And you know what the pastor said? Well, we'll see about that. I don't know. Because, uh, you know, 
I didn't know that there was this thing going on with him and this child, and I didn't trust this child. Be careful, because what about you? If you had to prove your salvation, what would, your, what would that be like? Um, another one is not encouraging or telling him uh, or her uh, teachings of growth. So I have uh, a daughter, um, and um, she came to me one day, and he said, Dad, I'm not going back to Sunday school. Now, I'm a missionary, and it's going to make me look bad, so it's all about me, right? Not her, but, you know, I'm thinking about this, going, yeah, you are going to go to Sunday school, so why don't you want to go to Sunday school? Well, Dad, it's boring. I know this church. I'm a part of this church. They have a great Sunday school program. What's the problem? I said, well, what was the lesson? I'm thinking, you know, okay, you know, oh, it's David and Goliath. I'm like, that's exciting. What, do you, what, was, what about David and Goliath? What did you learn? Well, I don't know. Do you throw stones? Do you not throw stones? I'm like, whoa, okay. Uh, and then I kind of found out that it was, they were telling, the, the, the Sunday school teacher had never had any training in, in, in how do you do um, application for the saved child? How do you do an application for the unsaved child? Every single lesson should have an application for the saved child and for the unsaved child. Be, otherwise, you're offending that child. And, uh, and so we did a training for that church, and then they started learning and, and, and started working through that. Um, so that's what we do. We do trainings for churches so that they can help in their Sunday school program. And I know George Rocha is downstairs with the children, and uh, he's had CEF training, so uh, you don't have to worry about that. You're, got, you're in good hands. Uh, so, yes, uh, not encouraging them uh, or insisting that they demonstrate a mature lifestyle. Have you ever done that as a parent? Well, uh, Jesus wouldn't want you to do that. If you really knew Jesus, you wouldn't do that as an adult. How many times, if you, that was, if you were being, that whole guilt thing, if you had to live through that guilt, many would tear you apart. So um, that's another one. Uh, another one is uh, by being a bad example of a Christian life or just not sharing your faith or story with a child. Um, as parents, as grandparents, as great-grandparents, do your kids know your faith story? Do your kids know how you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Do your kids know uh, what Jesus is doing in your life this month, this year, today? Do they know that? Are you sharing that with them so that they can see the real Jesus in you? Do you share some of your struggles with them so that they can, you know, be careful how they share struggles, but that you can see that Jesus is the person, the, the one who is helping you through that. As an adult, are you doing that? Um, that is huge. That is huge. Uh, not despising one of these little ones. Wow. Here is um, a little poem. Tiny little feet at my door. A tiny little knock I'd heard before. Why should this child come to me? Whatever could his question be? I've tried to make him understand that I'm a very busy man. I have my family and job active in the work of God. And when my busy day is done, I'd rather not see anyone. Tiny little feet outside my door, drawn by the Spirit as before. But much too busy was I that day to hear my blessed Savior say, I led this child to you again. Go to the door and let him in. Oh, busy servant, if you could see this child's desire to come to me, you have the answer in my word, but this dear child has never heard. Will you refuse to show the way to one so willing to come today? Another tiny knock on the door, and then the knock I heard no more. Too busy was I to hear that day the tiny feet that walked away. Have you ever had tiny feet that walked away? 
I'm in children's ministry. I should never have tiny feet that walk away. But I had this little boy that came to my house. He was eight years old. My daughter was five at that time. And uh, he would want to play with Ruthie. Hey, can I play with Ruthie, Mr. King? No, you cannot play with Ruthie. I'm the dad. I take care of my Ruthie. And your eight years old boy, she's a five year old girl, um, you know, in a group maybe, but not, you know, you two aren't going to play together. So he keep coming over, and uh, one day, Mr. King, can I play with Ruthie? No, you know you can't play with Ruthie alone. In fact, she's not here. Nobody's here. I am busy. I am um, I'm, I'm doing my busy stuff that I need to do. And he said, but Mr. King, I'm bored. I, you know what? You find somebody, something to do. You know, I'm not the person you come to when you're bored. So he left, and then the Holy Spirit just grabbed me like, I brought this kid to you. He is bored. You could have given the most boring gospel presentation and he would have listened. Oh, man, you're right. So then I prayed, dear God, bring him back, bring him back. He never came back. He never came back to my door. He grew up. He was in the gang in the, in the, in the neighborhood. I don't know what happened to him. I'm praying young life got hold of him and somebody else more sensitive than I was. Uh, who are the little ones knocking at your door that you don't see? Huh. So we can look at um, another passage, uh, Mark 10, 2 and 9. Um, for interest of time, we're just going to say that, you know, in this, Jesus is saying, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such is the kingdom of God. There's, Jesus is saying it's about children, and his, his disciples never got it. What about you and me? Are we getting it? 85% of all salvations that happen generally are between the ages of 4 and 14 window. You know that 4 and 14 window that we talked about a little bit earlier? 4 and 14, 85% of, if I ask you a hand of here, how many of you trusted Jesus your Savior between the ages of 4 and 14? You want to raise your hands. Okay, we've got at least 50%. I can't really see, so you can put your hands down. Um, I did that with a group two weeks ago, an older group, and I thought, ah, it was more than 85%. Um, that's the age where kids are coming to the Lord, and it's throughout the, the world we're finding out that's the, your heart is more palatable at that point than any other time. Um, so Billy Graham uh, has said, uh, well, actually, here's the statistics in front of you. Um, you can see that I'm a, not a statistician, but I, I do like that whole 85. It kind of kind of jumps out at you. Uh, and, and can you go to the next slide here really quick? Um, Billy Graham goes, I sincerely believe that child evangelism is one of the greatest mediums for reaching the future generations for Christ and that there is today. That just means reaching children wherever they're at, and they're in your life. So we're going to take a quick look at what that looks like in, in, in your life and in my life. Next slide, yeah. Um, so when a child can experience salvation does not depend on a certain age because the Bible does not uh, give mention age. On the contrary, the only requirement to become a child of God is to believe or receive the Lord Jesus Christ as a little child. The moment a child is old enough to recognize that he or she is a sinner and to believe that Christ died for him or her, he is ready according to the Bible in, in, in John 1, 12. Um, all right. So in closing, um, what can you, and oh, the boy and girl, I left them out there. Yes, the little boy, when he was older in college, uh, college ministry reached out to him and he decided, oh, I, I, I want to make a difference in, in the world. I want to become a missionary and I want to become a missionary to children so they don't have to live in sin when they could have trusted Jesus as Savior when they're five years old. And so he went to a, a mission field and he reached out to children. And then uh, Carol, 
uh, she became a teacher to second graders and then said, I want to become a missionary in a country where kids don't have to cry themselves asleep wondering if they're going to go to heaven. I don't know if you figured it out yet, but Wayne King is my dad. Carol King is my mom. They both were here in Illinois. Both God was reaching them at a young age. Did you know that most missionaries, most in ministry, are reached before the age of nine years old and make a commitment to ministry before the age of 12. That's just statistics that, uh, that, that, that they give us. So what about you? What about me? What are we doing here in DuPage County? One of the things that CEF does is we do five-day clubs. We do Christian Youth in Action. We do Good News Clubs. We're going to just wrap up with this. If you're a teenager, there is a program for you. We, our missionaries are teenagers during the summer. We train uh, missionaries in Christian Youth in Action. You have, you're in a boot camp for 10 days, and then we go out and we do missions around here. What do we do? We do five-day clubs, and in these five-day clubs, we, uh, it's a backyard, front-yard Bible club where you as a parent can reach out to your neighborhood and invite the kids. And who ties the teaching? The, t- the teenagers. And we had one not too far from here, and um, children came, and we didn't know. But one of uh, those in the church that was sponsoring it, their grandchild came and trusted Jesus as their Savior in that club, and because her daughter actually was an atheist at that time. Um, So we have had this summer 65 five-day clubs in this area, 818 kids came, 27 trusted Jesus your Savior. You can be a part of that because you can open up your home. You can invite kids from your neighborhood. So if that's something you want to do, you can come to me. We'll give you a little card. You can pick that up. Um, Or did you know that we're getting into the schools and and, and into the grade schools? It's illegal for a principal to say no to an after school Bible club. And so we can get into the public schools. We can share the gospel in the public schools. The hardest part is not getting into the public schools. The hardest part is finding volunteers. God has put you and me where we are at to be a light in the midst of darkness, to be what God has called us to be. Where is your mission field? Your mission field is all around you. The children that God has given you, the children in your neighborhood, the children in our public school. The question is, What are we doing with the call that God has on us? Are we being faithful in reaching out to our mission field? Dear God, show us what you would have us to know. Show us the mission field that you brought to us. May we be faithful to the calling, and may we be faithful to the little ones sharing your truth as you have given it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. forgot my thing back there. Okay, nope, that's not it. It's back there. We have a little bit of a surprise for you guys. Um, Thanks to the magic of technology and the competence of Aaron Williams, who seems to make the impossible possible, we are piping in all the way, 6,000 miles from us, in real time, our dear sister and friend, Bree, in Kazakhstan. There she is. Can you hear us, Bree? Hold on, we're going to get there. Yeah. 
Maybe I talked Aaron up too much. No, I'm kidding. That's good. Bree, look, your family here. Hello. I can't see you very much. <laughs> okay. So what time it's is it? What time is it there, Bree? It is 10.30 p.m. On Sunday night. <laughs> yes, yeah, Sunday so we're night. Gonna, we're going to do this quickly and let you get your sleep. Uh, so <laughs> tell us a little bit about what you are doing there. Um, I am volunteering at an organization called Caring Heart. I am teaching English to the children there, um, as well as the teachers and the staff uh, that work at the organization. I'm also baking and trying to perfect making soft pretzels and bagels and <laughs> cookies for their startup store and just hanging out with kids pretty much all the time. That's good. So uh, what's been, you know, tell us something that's been hard since you've been there. Um, well, I wish I could communicate a little bit better. <laughs> There's a lot that I feel like I'm missing um, with communicating with the kids um, because I don't speak their language, um, either one of their languages, Kazakh or Russian. <laughs> I'm trying, but it's a lot. <laughs> so that's been hard. Um, yeah. What about your favorite thing? Um, <laughs> it's kind of the same, though. Like, I love getting to know the kids as much as I can. Um, there's a lot of them, and it's been fun to learn all of their names and... Um, just see them every morning and, and just get to hug them and love them and um, see their personalities come out. It's really fun. It's very cool. So why has it been important for you or what, what was it that made you uh, want to go serve in Kazakhstan? Um, I love children yeah, it has been me adopting with children, and um, yeah, I think that um, let me translate. It's such a joy she to says, see, like where they have come, where they are now. <laughs> it's okay, Kazakh Wi-Fi. That's okay. It happens sometimes. It happens yeah. sometimes. But we had talked about before how it was important for you to begin pouring into the life of young people early, earlier than later, and that, that you had uh, a sense of real calling to be able to teach English, and you have for some time uh, with children all around the world. And so we thank you for your service in Kazakhstan. We look forward to when you can come back to us. <laughs> all right. Me too. <laughs> all right. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. She did leave. So what, you know, we've done this conference. What is it that we are to do now? What is our response? We've heard about some of the particulars. What is it that God is calling us to do? Well, I think there's three, at least you always hear these, pray, give, serve, right? The first thing we need to be is in constant prayer, not only for the ministries here at Grace Bible Church, but our children, and our children's children, and the children yet to come who have not even been born yet, they are in the heart of God. God knows them by name, and we need to be praying for them. The second thing is to give. Nothing happens in this world for free. 
Unfortunately, I've come to find this to be true since I came into full-time ministry and had to look at budgets instead of just get to talk to people about God. It's one of those things that makes our work possible, and it's the way, one of the ways that God propels his kingdom forward. So give. And finally, serve. Three very important pieces. We can serve first at home. Discipling your children, praying for them, teaching them the things of the Lord, but ultimately there are some other options and opportunities that I just wanted to bring forth to you quickly this morning. The first is, I don't have my thing, so Emily advanced the slide, I don't remember what's first, is Operation Christmas Child. So on November 6th, um, we will have at 1145 after church a packing party with pizza. These boxes, if you don't know Operation Christmas Child, are an opportunity for us to fill little shoeboxes with school supplies, a gospel tract, little toys, things that sort of that oriental trading company type stuff that you fit into these boxes, and we send them all around the world. The very cool thing is, is we get to find out to what country it went to and which kids might have been blessed. We get to pray for those people, and so that's a real blessing. You can come on this day, pack boxes, bring supplies for us to pack. If you have questions about that, you can contact Roxanne Evans. The second piece is, Emily, Camp La Carta. Camp La Carta is a camp in northeastern Spain um, that is associated with Jim Fassold, one of our longtime missionaries here at GBC. Um, it's awesome. I was on the phone with the director and Jim this week. This is an opportunity for us to use our giftedness in every way from seamstressing, crafts, painting, landscaping, plumbing, or being a camp counselor in English camps there in Spain. Super easy to get information, super easy to get plugged in. You'll go to www.lacarta.us. You'll find all the information there. If you choose to go, let us know. We want to know what we can do to help you make sure that you're able to serve the Lord where he's calling you. And finally, is that it? That's it. Children and youth ministry. Okay, you're going to see here, especially next Thank you. Especially next um, next week at the semi-annual meeting, you are going to hear about where we need help, where you can get plugged in in the various ministries of the church. Youth and children is one of those big places. Okay, it is a perennial issue. All right, it is. A, I, I love that um, Luann talked about how children's ministry is as important as any of the other ministries in the church, and we see why. We have to start young. And so I think many of us are afraid to go into youth ministry. I know I was before Adam blessed us with being here. I had to do youth ministry for a little while, and I got, you know, drew the short straw to middle school boys. Sorry, middle school boys. And I thought, I'm never going to be able to do this. I'm in totally over my head. And I showed up on day one for my small group, and I realized I'm a middle school boy trapped in a 43-year-old man's body. And I loved it. And God showed me exactly how to interact with them when I was supposed to interact with them. And I know that God can do that for you too. So all he needs is your willingness, your willingness, and he can use you. So, Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.